This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I hope everyone listening to the radio hasn't changed the station yet. Because this is by far my favorite Christmas song on the radio. And I'm still not sick of it. Take us home, Mariah. Welcome to Tasting Together. I'm your host and Mariah Carey lover, Andre Peru. And I am joined by my co-host. Hello, Maroki Tong. And Andre, were you trying to make people change the channel with that song? 100% not. I'd like to think of myself as a bit of a connoisseur and disciple of contemporary Christmas music. And I still think that all I want for Christmas is you. Is a triumph of mankind and pop culture that has yet to be reproduced. I think I saw a meme recently where she says how, in the song Mariah says how she doesn't want a lot for Christmas and all she wants is you. And the meme basically went, oh, that's like a burn. That's a sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's an interesting way to say that. Like offering offering up yourself to another person. I mean, it's it's a romantic notion, but you're right. Like that that is a big ask. <laughs> Well, but also saying like you're not worth very much. <laughs> she wants. Oh, to. I think I, I I think I interpret it the other way. I, I do interpret it the other way. Um, you know what? Merry Christmas, Maroki. Merry Christmas, Andre. We are getting to like the the final hours right before everyone. If you're listening to this in the car right now, we want to thank you for taking the time to get to know us a little bit over the past uh, month and a half. Like we've really had a blast uh, introducing ourselves to the listeners and we want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas because this show is about food and drinks served responsibly, of course. And um, imagine if you're listening to the show right now, you're on your way to spend some time with your families and sharing some traditions. So I, I think we are looking to talk a little bit about some, I guess what off the wall traditions a little bit some stuff a little bit more unusual but i think anyone who's heard this show knows that that's what we gravitate towards isn't that right maroki we love being unusual and you know if we want to talk about unusual holiday traditions and perhaps for the german folk it is not unusual at <laughs> all but christmas isn't always just fun and games and joy when it comes to holiday tradition in the german holiday tradition there is also an anti-christmas fellow called krampus yeah is this a little comes... bit like the like the og elf on a shelf like let's find a way to traumatize our children a little bit before <laughs> jolly old saint nick comes down the chimney very much like instead of receiving you know we, we talk about how the the quote-unquote bad kitties receive coal for christmas well krampus just comes and takes you away oh that's hilarious actually like I don't do scary movies. Um, like, okay, scary movies give me nightmares. Just like, full stop. When I watch a movie, I get really into it. And scary movies def definitely traumatize Andre a little bit. Because I know a few years ago, there was a Krampus horror movie. Oh, no. And that was like, that's my experience with this part of Christmas. Can you enlighten me a little bit more on the more traditional interpretation of Krampus? Well, more than just German tradition and maybe even roots in Christianity, Krampus actually has some roots in pagan rituals as well. And so, like I said, he is the anti-Christmas. So while, you know, jolly old St. Nicholas gives gifts and rewards kids who are good, 
Krampus comes and stuffs you in a sack and takes you away to his lair if you're bad, and he is known to whip you into being a better child. And if you are still bad, he will take you to the underworld where you will be banished to punishment for all eternity. So not so you know he he's also known to have like a very devilish look. He's like that yeah. half man, half devil look. That's what so I remember I, from like the trailer to the horror movie is just yeah. like how grotesque the character looks. And I'm not gonna lie, I try I try to be good every year, Maroki. But I'm always <laughs> just worried that Krampus is gonna show up. I mean, I'm a little too mischievous for my own good. I, I set him out some whiskey every year. I think we have an understanding. Bribery is always a great way to deal with a, a tough situation, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, um, there's actually a a kind of following for Krampus, because as you said, you're afraid of horror movies, but we have there's also a whole contingent in community people who are horror aficionados, horror lovers, and they are the people who likely prefer Halloween over Christmas. I could be wrong. There's going to be a lot of people who are horror movie lovers who are about to message me angrily telling me just how much they love Christmas. But, you know, just like Christmas, there's a lot of people who love Halloween. And I will say in Toronto, there is a Krampus ball that happens every year. And it's definitely an opportunity to scratch that love for the macabre. <laughs> Dress up, you know, with your animal horns and just go and have a blast of a time. Matt, I'm looking forward to when we get to October next year because... I know there's just a way that we can unpack a little bit like that time of year. Like I'm 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 a I'm a pumpkin connoisseur. I love pumpkin. I'm a defender of pumpkin spice, but it's just I'm not a big Halloween person and I don't completely get it. And I know there's a lot of people in the car who are just they just perked up and just be like, How can he not like Halloween? It's just something I don't really I just don't really gravitate to it. It's weird that it's we're talking okay. about Hall it's weird that we're talking about Halloween on Christmas Eve, isn't it? Maybe, uh, maybe we should. Well, maybe, maybe after this, is, the show is done. We should watch a Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about traditions that are, um, I guess, something the listeners might not be too familiar with. But um, I'm getting ready to toss my my tortier in the oven. That's something that really speaks Christmas to me. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to experience tortier. I have not, Andre. Okay, that's something we're definitely going to have to fix. Because I know going way back a, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Michelin Guide, it's one thing that you and I are definitely going to have to unpack, I think, in upcoming episodes and throughout the next year, is what really defines Canadian cuisine. And I know that uh, we've made a commitment to the listeners, I think, to ourselves to see what we can explore in terms of Indigenous chefs, Indigenous-owned restaurants in uh, in the country, because that's definitely something that would speak to Canada. But, um, you know, in spite of the colonial history of Canada, French Canada has been here for quite a while. And uh, I do speak the language, but I grew up in Saskatchewan. And it's one of those recipes that um, is a strong, hard family tradition for us is that we eat trottier around the holidays. The part of this dish that is a little unusual is covering my plate in ketchup. To enjoy said tortier. Huh. I, I wonder if you're going to get a lot of angry messages about ketchup being paired with tortier. I know there's a bit of a debate, but it seems to be something where, like, I mean, if you think about the really great dishes in French Canadian cuisine as they exist in 2022, we're talking about poutine. 
So French fries, cheese curds, and gravy. Uh, I think if you're covering a plate with gravy that's likely coming from a package, you're going to give me a pass on putting some ketchup on my tortilla. That's fair. I'm I'm looking forward to trying it someday, Andre, and I will try it with and without the ketchup, just so I can tell you which one I think is better. Any traditions that you're looking forward to this evening as we head towards um, midnight and Christmas Day? While we are on our final days of Hanukkah, um, it will end mm. on December 26th. So, you know, we're lighting our candles tonight and just, you know, enjoying the celebration. And I believe Kwanzaa is actually going to begin on December 26th and goes for a week. And their celebrations also include gift giving and a feast. So if you're one who celebrates African traditions, you're going to have a really nice, long and extended holiday Man, I appreciate you uh, bringing that to the table because Kwanzaa is something I actually don't know much about. So, uh, it, I, I love this time of year just because it seems like so many cultural and religious groups just gather to share joy. And, you know, it's it's hard to just not gonna get on board with that, whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. And coming up after the break, we're going to get a few of those you know, personal stories from some really important people in our lives and about these traditions that they have celebrated for many, many years. You're listening to Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. Merry Christmas, ladies. Merry Christmas, Mr. Buble. Are you ready to sing a little jingle bell? Yes. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together on 640 Toronto on this Christmas Eve. I'm joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong. Hello. And I know a big thing that we've been focusing on on this show over the past few weeks has been trying to focus on the Christmas traditions that are maybe a little different than what we've seen in Hollywood and maybe a little bit different than sort of the traditional, you know, Canadian Christmas and, uh, I mean, considering I literally told you that Krampus is going to come and steal little children on Christmas Day, <laughs> we certainly have been diving into all the alternative Christmas scenarios. But I think it's cool that even as a grown-up that you can find new ways to experience the magic of Christmas, um, which is why I am so thrilled to be joined by my father-in-law, Merrick Verenkevich. Hello, if, hello, hello. And if you can't tell from his a little bit obtuse last name, he is of Polish descent. Well, not Polish descent. I'm purely Polish. It's, I haven't descended from anything. I am 100% purely Polish. Okay, but you've got a Canadian passport now. You're just being difficult. I do have a Canadian passport. I am a Canadian citizen. Yes, this is true. So, Merrick, are you ragging on Andre because he's taking you away from well, you know, Christmas Eve meals? But this is, you know, it's everything's always about Andre. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's like I'm, I'm so used to it. It's okay. And luckily, I was um, I was kind of aware that something might happen, so I prepped a few of the things beforehand. So I'm not in panic. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things where it's been one of the great joys of my life, getting to know your daughter um, and becoming a part of your family is flying home to Saskatchewan has been incredibly expensive. So I don't make it home for Christmas very often. Uh, Also working in radio, often you need to work on Christmas Eve or on Boxing Day, especially if you work in the newsroom. Fortunately, on this show, we aren't spending any time in the newsroom. But one of the things I've always been in love with has been the the Polish, uh, I'm sure you're going to pronounce this wrong, so correct me, Merrick, but the Vigilia. Vigilia, that's right. Yeah, it basically means vigil. So it's the vigil for, you know, the the birth of uh, the birth of of Jesus Christ. And as you know, I'm not religious in any way, but I do follow this as a tradition. For me, it's a very cultural thing. 
it's something that my family has been doing that I was brought up into since since I was born, obviously. Um, so it means a lot to me because it kind of brings me back to um, to family that um, I'm no longer that aren't around anymore. I don't have anybody left of my family alive. Um, so it's other than obviously my daughters, but um, but in terms of my family from Poland, there's nobody left. And um, so this brings me in kind of a connection with that cultural tradition that I remember so fondly from being a, a very young child. I understand that because I, you know, in a previous segment, I talked about how I grew up singing in choirs and I sang in choirs all the way to my adulthood um, at, uh, until after university, essentially. And uh, singing in choirs meant singing all the time around the holidays. And there's, you know, a lot of the songs have religious bases to them. and But for me, they resonate just sort of in like a cultural sense. When I lived in Northern Ireland, by definition, we were a Catholic choir. And we sang right. in all the churches, but that was just a part of the fabric and a part of the community that I occupied. So when you when you say that the the vigilia is that how it's vigilia, pronounced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's part of your tradition. I understand that, and maybe this is a good opportunity for you, Merrick, to share what you know vigilia is all about. Well, you know, when when Andre sort of first thank you for that, um, Maroki. When Andre first sort of said called me up and said, uh, "Would can you do this little segment?" Um, it actually led me to start thinking a lot about uh, about my what memories I have. And it, it, it's fascinating for me because it brought up a couple of things that I had completely forgotten about. Um, one was completely by, by uh, an associative fluke where I was looking on something at Facebook. And as Andre knows, I have a, a real deep affection for spiders. I never kill a spider. <laughs> and I could, you know, I could never understand where that came from because I grew up in South Africa and we had some very poisonous spiders. But I was never afraid of them. Um, I had a healthy respect for them, but I wasn't afraid of them. But one of the memories that came up was something that my mother said to me. And I have not remembered, I have not thought about this since I was, I, I don't think I've ever thought about it, except it just like one of those flashes. Um, and it's a beautiful little story about a family who's very poor. And they went into the forest and they cut down a Christmas tree, but they brought it home, but they had no money for decorations. And they were kind of feeling really sad about that, but they went to sleep. And um, when they woke up on Chris Christmas Eve morning, spiders had covered the tree in beautiful spider webs. And the way the sun was hitting them, they looked like these incredibly beautiful decorations. So in Poland, it's an old tradition. You don't kill spiders and you have a tremendous um, affection for spiders because they are harbingers of good luck. And I haven't remembered that. And, and it was because I started thinking about my memories of childhood and there's a, I don't have a lot because I left when I was five years old. Let's talk a little bit about what the actual meal looks like because it is sure. quite the event. Sure. So you know what? It's, it's, I'll, I'll sort of go through the, the, the events chronologically and then put the food into each of the events. The first thing, and, and it's very short, the other stuff. The first thing that we do is, I remember this as a kid, is we'd all go outside, the whole family and, 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 and in Warsaw, when we had Christmassy dinner at my parents' beautiful two-story apartment, which is a whole other story, but um, we um, would go outside and we'd look for the very first star to appear. And then when we saw that first star, we all ran back in because that was time for dinner. And um, so the first thing we did was we would share what's called in Polish is opłatek, which is like a, a piece of unleavened bread that looks like a host for people who know what a host is. So it's a very flat piece of very white unleavened bread. And we would, every, every piece, every person would get a large piece and you'd walk around and you'd share 
you break a piece off and you'd eat it and you'd share the other person's you'd exchange your the best wishes for the for the for the year and sometimes you'd give them a gift and so this was all done before we sat down so once and, and this is harks back to breaking bread at the last supper um so then we'd all sit down and have our dinner and the whole thing was there's no meat um it was all uh fish based and veg and vegetable based and grain based so another tradition which everybody in Poland broke was that you don't drink hard liquor but Poland is is, is notorious for vodkas and so everybody drank vodka and forgot about that and typically we had we should have 12 dishes we always start with some kind of a soup typically we'd also serve uh, some kind of a fish very traditional in Poland is to serve it serve a carp and it'll be either baked or fried or what they call jewish style which is my mother's favorite and also Jennifer's favorite my wife um and it's a it's a carp that's served cold in aspic with carrots onions and raisins which is sort of harkens back to the middle eastern tradition um and they serve it with lemons or vinegar as a as a um, as a sprinkle and i remember having carp a car, live carp in our bathtub oh geez. very typical in poland and if you look at any sort of christmas polish movies often they will show you a carp in a bathtub because this is something that happened all over poland um before christmas eve and you'd cook the carp for christmas eve dinner something to look forward to i i mean it it's something we've talked about on the on the show before is i think the pandemic's been long for some people and uh this is going to be the first christmas eve that we get to spend together since 2019 oh my god so that's true isn't it yeah i'm very much looking forward to the polish vigilia and uh, who knows, Maroki, maybe one some year we'll have to get together and share that tradition with you as well. I'd love that. I want this wonderful. so much because I've never had any sort of traditions around Christmas that I followed regularly. So like this, hearing these, like the story and how deep of roots it has for you actually is blowing my mind. Oh, it is. It is probably the most, it is probably the center of my cultural core. Of my connection with Poland and my and my relatives, Merrick, I want to thank you very much for sharing well, our family traditions, um, yours and mine now, with uh, with the listeners. And I know it's Christmas Eve, so it's probably too late for a lot of people to get in on it. But I highly recommend grabbing some pickled herring if that's something you is not part of your part of me. If that's something that is not part of your Christmas celebration, because you can definitely enjoy that on that stretch between Christmas and New Year's. Absolutely, with a nice glass of Zubrówka, which is a buffalo grass sweet grass buffalo grass flavored vodka merrick is not sponsored by jabrufka no i'm not but <laughs> my cultural heritage is <laughs> well unlike merrick and the vigilia i will say that i have um experienced a hodgepodge of christmas memories that are of various traditions and if you stick around after the break we're going to talk about you know hanukkah traditions um you know if you don't celebrate christmas and maybe what other activities you can be up to if christmas day is not necessarily on your radar yeah, you better watch out you better not try you better not you're listening to tasting together toronto's news today's talk 640 toronto welcome back to tasting together on 640 toronto on christmas eve i'm maroki tong and i'm out here hanging out with andre pru talking about some holiday traditions and Andre your your father-in-law Merrick shared the most lovely story about the Vigilia and Polish holiday traditions growing up 
And I will say I have certainly not such deep rooted traditions on my side of the family. It would be a lot more of a hodgepodge. <laughs> I know you've mentioned that on previous shows. We've done so much unpacking just our traditions and other people's traditions. But I think it's my it's my favorite thing about having a chance to do the show with you is like I'm making a checklist of like all the things that I need to share with you to just like up your Christmas game. We need to share the Polish Vigilia with you. We need to share <laughs> Tourtier with you. I need to sit down with you. We need to do some gingerbread architecture some year because it's going to be hard to top the Nakatomi Plaza. But um, we did just have that wonderful uh, interview with my father-in-law and um, I'm sure the house is just full of delicious aromas of mushrooms and pickled fish, which I'm sure is going to be divisive for some people listening. But let's talk a little bit about um, about your Christmas traditions because I know there's something you've talked about in the past that... Um, I can relate with because it's really expensive to travel in this country. Yeah, so my family often uses, you know, assuming we wanted to go away somewhere for the holidays, maybe to somewhere sunny, we've often traveled on Christmas Day. And I guess it was something I didn't really think about as a child, but I suppose it would be a little bit cheaper to travel on the day where most people want to be gathered with their family and friends, and they likely would have tried to travel in the days before leading up to Christmas as opposed to traveling on the day itself. So I may have spent a Christmas here and there on an airplane. I don't think that's a, a necessarily a terrible thing. I've always, you know, had the questions. Actually, full disclosure, I had my plane tickets to travel to Saskatchewan to see my family this year for Christmas or the first time in quite a few years. Booked for Christmas Day because I didn't want to miss the Polish Vigilia with my father-in-law. Like, that's such an essential part of Christmas for me. Um... But as you can hear, I'm still in Toronto. I'm still around the Golden Horseshoe because I'm uh, anticipating the arrival of my first baby. So that's uh, why I didn't travel on Christmas Day this year. Well, I'm pretty sure your wife, Anya, will appreciate um, being in the Toronto cold as, as, <laughs> as opposed to the Saskatchewan cold. No kidding. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to bring our parents over to Toronto one year is, is what we're hearing. But... Yeah, definitely. For the years we stayed at home for Christmas, I remember my, my my parents being rather protective of our time. So mm -hmm. when we did spend time at home, and you know, we like I said, we did have the tree, we did have the presents. They were very very protective. So like to the point where if people gave me a call on Christmas to wish me a Merry Christmas, they would get upset that I answered the phone, <laughs> which I always thought was very very strange. And I it always blew my mind when we got older that we would when we did start visiting other people or we had extended friends and family come over because for a long time my parents were quite protective but Andre do you like going out on Christmas Day to celebrate with other people because admittedly I really don't want to get out of my pajamas on the day you know I think it's the thing about that time of year is there's a certain amount of pressure that comes with that day with December 25th being this like perfect magical day but I love this whole time of year just because I, I, I do work a lot. This radio show is not the way that I make make money and keep a roof over my head. And I do a lot of things. But my favorite thing about that whole stretch from like December 24th to January 2nd is everyone works a little bit slower. Emails get answered with a little bit more of a delay. And people are generally just kinder to each other and a little more compassionate. And... Yeah, I love getting a chance to get together with people. I think my favorite days, if anyone can't tell listening to this, I am the consummate extrovert. 
I love having people over to my house. I love entertaining. I love throwing the big parties. I love getting together with large groups of people. And December 27th, 28th, and 29th, I think are my favorite days of the year, just because there's no pressure to it. You know, you can offer your home as a refuge to people who are sick of spending time with their family. I mean, as you heard from the last segment, I love spending time with my family, but also come the December 27th, 28th, 29th, I need to spend some time by myself in my sanctuary. And if anyone else wants to come join me, they are more than welcome to. I am suddenly reminded of one tradition that we did upkeep in the household. And I do appreciate that my parents worked really hard to keep the magic of Santa alive for me for yes. quite a long time. Yes. Um, they, you know, would put the footprint in the fireplace. And one year they even had someone else, like some non-family member, write thank you notes to every single one of us, including my parents, to leave in our stockings so that we wouldn't suspect it was them. That's then, so wonderful. Um, I know. And and my brother's 10 years younger than me. So once we grew out of our childhood, I guess, so to say, we tried to keep the magic alive for him by, you know, being the ones who then suddenly are the ones who put the footprints in the fireplace and making sure he feels like Santa has arrived. It's just one of my favorite parts of Christmas is putting out the milk and cookies and waiting to see what's going to happen the next morning. Okay, Maroki. So we've talked about the fact that your uh, fiance, Eric, is of Jewish descent and... Christmas must be a little bit different with with him. I know a lot of Jewish people really enjoy celebrating Christmas, but um, I know this is something you and I talked about preparing for this show where I've never really brought it up because I've always felt it was so stereotypical. It would be disrespectful to broach the subject. And that's the whole concept of um, Jewish people heading out to Chinese food restaurants on Christmas Day and rocking out to the theater to see what's opening. And I, I, I've never even heard of this stereotype until I started dating Eric and then everyone's like, oh yeah, we're going to go for Chinese food. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought they were making fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. Okay. I, I, was Fair. Like, oh, I was like, how dare you make fun of me as a Chinese person? They were like, no, no, no. It's like something that we Jewish people do. And I was like, what? And I guess, you know, because they don't celebrate Christmas, but they, you know, they love the idea of just enjoying that holiday and that day off and gathering with friends. They often went to Chinese restaurants. And some of the reasons why is apparently there's like a cultural element on not just the fact that, you know, there's not very many spots open for Christmas. And usually they are Chinese food restaurants. Historically, a lot of Chinese food is a lot more kosher friendly for Jewish people who practice eating that way. So Interesting. That actually made it, yeah. So it made it made it accessible to them. And then, of course, like there's a sense of community and and a value of family that resonate with both both cultures. So there is a bit of intersectionality there. You know, I've never thought of the of the the Jew, the Jewish aspect of Chinese food restaurants being open on Christmas Day. But it is one of my favorite moments in a Christmas story. Is after the smelly hounds from the neighbor come and destroy, um, you know, Ralphie's Christmas dinner, that the family get into the old old car. And go and have what they call Chinese turkey, where they have the um, the entire staff come out and sing Christmas carols in what is now clearly a culturally insensitive way to portray Chinese people on the screen. But the whole idea that the only thing open in the town where that story takes place is a Chinese food restaurant on Christmas Day. <laughs> now, you you know, one of the other things, and I think you mentioned this, Andre, is that 
we often go see a movie on Christmas Day as well, which we did do the one, uh, you know, the first time I spent Hanukkah with Eric's family. Yeah. Are there any good movies playing on the screens right now that people would want to enjoy on the day? You know, it makes you know, me, me a little bit sad to see, like, because I have done the Christmas movie thing, not necessarily Christmas Day, but like Boxing Day. I remember seeing Les Miserables the year that that opened up and thoroughly enjoying it around the holidays, like just taking that break from the family and going into a theater for I think a movie's like three hours long. But it, it's one of those traditions that I think has been killed a little bit by the pandemic. I'm taking a look at like what's opening around the holidays this year, and it's just missing that that blockbuster. Like I remember, I know the Star Wars, the most recent uh, trilogy, were all Christmas movies, and it seems to be like a competition from all the the movie studios to try to one up each other. And this year, it looks like we've got. Okay, Avatar, The Way of Water opened last week. Um, I can guarantee it's not going to hold up to the original one, which just had this like magic. It was one of the first like groundbreaking 3D movies where your eyes bugged out of your head. Uh, Puss in Boots recently opened up. I'm sure if you got kids, they're probably begging you to go see that. But even then, like that's a movie that you know that whole Shrek, you know the sh- the the uh, Shrek cinematic universe has been around for quite some while. I don't know if it has the excitement that it once had. So the movies that are opening up today, it looks like we've got Babylon. I want to dance with somebody and Corsage. All three are listed as dramas. One listed as a period drama. I'm not sure I'm super excited to go to a theater this weekend. Well, if you're really late to the table when it comes to watching movies like I am, I'm pretty sure Black Panther Wakanda Forever is still playing. (laughs) Hard to go wrong with a Marvel movie over the holidays. It's true. It's true. And I I might partake in that over the holidays if, um, if nothing else. So... If you're someone who isn't going to be going to a theater, maybe we'll find some solace into a great bottle of bubbles as we start to head into celebrating season. And next segment, we will be joined by Danny Longo, where he has done some homework into finding out why Ontario is one of the best places on the planet to make sparkling wine. It's Christmas. This is Tasting Together, Toronto's news, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru. And I'm Maroki Tong. And uh, you know what my favorite thing about this time of year is, Maroki? I love that this is the time of year where people reach for really good bubbles. And uh, I know that's something we've talked about for for the past few weeks, just in mentioning, talking about food pairings and everything. But it's just something effervescent about the holidays, don't you think? I mean, there really is, right? I, it has, you know, maybe it's like confetti. Maybe because <laughs> when we pop a bubble of sparkling and things are really fizzy, it's almost like all the glitter and the confetti when we decide to, you know, pull the party poppers and explode the balloons for New Year's Eve and celebrating all things New Year. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I know one thing that I do like to think about when I'm grabbing a bottle of sparkling wine, I really don't mind dropping the cash on a decent bottle of champagne, but we're making really good sparkling wine in our own backyard. And I do think it's something that might be overlooked by a lot of people if we're talking about prices. But we sent uh, our very own Danny Longo on a mission to find out everything we need to know about Ontario sparkling wine. 
If you're raising a glass of the bubbly over the holidays, you might want to consider picking up some Ontario sparkling. Ontario's cool climate and limestone-rich soils produce some of the world's best sparkling wines. I spoke to Jonas Newman, partner and winemaker at the Hinterland Wine Company, and he says if you're not buying Ontario sparkling, you're missing out. The sparkling wine from Ontario, from Hinterland, and from all my colleagues that are making uh, good sparkling wine is probably the last great wine value in the world. Newman says about 95% of the wine Hinterland produces is sparkling, and he says the type of fruit he gets in his vineyard contributes to the quality. We really love the climate and uh, the quality of grapes that we get for sparkling. We're able to harvest a couple weeks earlier, so we're always getting clean fruit. Uh, It's a little more technical in the winery, but uh, in the winery we have control. Uh, In the vineyard, we don't because Mother Nature uh, does what she wants. She doesn't really care if we want to make, you know, a big blockbuster Pinot or a big blockbuster Chardonnay. In short, Ontario's climate is conducive to making great sparkling wine. Much like in the Champagne region in France, cooler, more temperate regions ensure grapes don't ripen too quickly, which means they have lower natural sugar and higher acidity, which gives the wines their unique flavors. Now, Newman says that means we're able to produce world-class wines in our own backyard. You're getting $120 wines for $35, $40 at this point. Um, And of course, we can't call it champagne, and there's a a certain exclusivity to drinking champagne, but if you're a wine lover and uh, you just want to drink really great wine, I don't think you can beat Ontario Sparkling if sparkling is what you're drinking. While you might think Ontario's too far north for growing grapes, Ontario's wine regions actually share the same latitude with other well-known wine regions, including Tuscany and Oregon. Like in the Champagne, the soil imparts minerality onto the wines and in turn contributes to its complexity. Now, Newman says his fellow winemakers in the area are making distinctively Ontario wines. Ontario has been looked at, or Canada, and even to a certain extent has been looked at like as, a, as an ice wine factory. And uh, it's because of that coolness that, uh, that we get. It's a, the cool summers, a late start to the spring, and, and an early start to the fall. And uh, we generally have, you know, uh, long, cool summers, but the sort of way the grapes ripen, uh, we end up with grapes that are perfectly balanced to make great sparkling wine. Newman says in his vineyards, the stars are Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, but some other favorites in Ontario include Riesling, Vidal, and Gamay Noir. Whatever you choose, Newman has a message for those looking at sparkling wines over the holidays. Canadian sparkling wine is, is excellent across the board. And people should uh, really take a look at it if they're into wine quality as opposed to opposed to regions. Danny Longo, Global News. Well, as a lover of Ontario wine, I think I have to agree with Jonas. And I, it's not because I'm necessarily biased towards Hinterland, although I do love Hinterland sparkling wines. Now, to our listeners out there, just to refresh all your memories, when we're talking about Ontario sparkling wines right now, we're talking about what is called traditional method sparkling, which is different, which is the champagne style, um, where they do second fermentation in bottles. So if you ever want to go to the LCBO and ask that you want like a champagne style it's traditional method sparkling where they do second fermentation in bottle which is different than prosecco and now we are joined by danny from global news danny was there anything in that interview that surprised you at all uh there was a few things i mean i i always knew that ontario sparkling was great but uh just the just the the value the like the the dollar value he was saying you know that one line he said it was uh you know ontarians you can get like a 30 Thirty dollar bottle of wine, and you know the values like should be like well over a hundred. Like that was just like, wow. That's definitely why are, something. Why are more people getting this? I, well, I mean, I think it's a thing where um, the champagne industry are ma- marketing powerhouses. Um, I I would think like Viv Clicquot is a label that a lot of people are familiar with. It's mm-hmm. fairly entry level champagne, 
And as a journalist and as a consumer, I feel like it's horribly overpriced. It's a very basic wine. And especially when you put it next to some of the really great wines from Ontario, you can get two bottles of Cuvée Catherine from Henry of Pelham for one bottle of Viv Clico. Now, one thing that Jonas mentioned that I think a lot of people really need to think about is we're talking about like very fine wines. A lot of the top top champagnes you make the base wine in barrels like the same way you would make a chardonnay obviously it works differently than you know a burgundy or a california style chardonnay but all those things impart flavor um i have some old bottles of hinterland and from another winery in ontario called featherstone that i've been aging for 10 years 11 years and when you give those bottles some age that is when they can really go toe-to-toe with some of the great wines of the world. And a few years ago, I opened up a 2009 Hinterland Les Etoiles, which you can get for $45 today. And I swear it tasted like drinking a bottle of Krug, which is a $330 bottle of champagne that you can get from time to time at the LCBO. Wow. Wow. Danny, I know you're a lover of Ontario wines. Do you, when it comes to you know buying something festive and sparkling for the season, do you tend to reach for Ontario traditional method sparkling, or do you just go, I'm going to go baller and I'm going to grab champagne? Uh, I do a little bit of both. I'll, I will grab the champagne. I'll, I'll usually go with a Moet or something if I am getting champagne. But yeah, I have no problem at all just getting an Ontario sparkling. And you know, I'll grab I'll grab a Henry of Pelham, like the one that Andre mentioned, or uh, whatever. Rose Hall Run makes a, a great sparkling rosé as well. Sparklings, yes, they do. Yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a whole there's so many Ontario wineries that make great sparkling. Malivoire makes a really great sparkling wine as well that I enjoy. Um, but yeah, I, I will. You know, if it's if it's if it's like a special occasion, if it's Christmas Day, I'll get the Moet. <laughs> you know, but but if, it's, <laughs> but if it's like maybe Christmas uh, morning or the next day, or I want to make a. A mimosa or something like that. Yeah, I will definitely grab an Ontario sparkling. How about you, Maroki? I'm a huge lover, supporter of Ontario wine. And I've been always on the same mindset as you with regards to the Clicquot being more overpriced, at least the yellow label. I've tr- I've tried yes. the Grand Dame. I had the um, luxury of tasting a 1992 Dom Perignon recently um, from a very hilarious story about my father forgetting about a bottle he received as a gift in his pantry for many years. Won't go into that today, but I thought that one was quite lovely for a champagne and worth the price. I am always looking for great value bottles. And when I see what Ontario is producing, and it's not just because I'm, you know, one of those live local, drink local, buy local, but we do genuinely make some stellar product and people don't know about it. Andre, like literally yesterday, someone said to me to my face again, how much they don't like Ontario wines. And it brought me to near tears. I was like, what do I need to do to tell more people that we make some stellar product and maybe you just grab the wrong thing. And if you just go out there, we have, we have what, like over a hundred wineries in Ontario. There's just too much selection out there to write it off. You, you know, that touches on something else that, will definitely be another topic on this on this show on this segment and definitely some more homework for you Danny but yes. it's it's Ontario is almost the victim of its own success and Jonas touched on it a little bit in the report where he talked about the market perception of Ontario is that we're basically an ice wine factory and the thing is premium wineries like Rose Hall Run like Hinterland like Henry of Pelham like Chateau de Charme and the list goes on and on for sparkling have been fighting to get better recognized for their non-ice wines the problem with Ontario is we do a lot of things really well. 
you take a look at places like Burgundy, you have two choices. You have Chardonnay, you have Pinot Noir. You look at Beaujolais, you have Gamay. You take a look at Bordeaux, you know exactly what's in a bottle of Bordeaux. And then you come to Ontario, you can get great wines of comparable quality to what all three of those regions make in one climate just because of how versatile our growing season is. So I know that market recognition has been a problem for Ontario and it's not because the wines aren't good. It's because too many things are good. That's my theory. Yeah, they do a little bit of everything, which is great. Well, I will say that France is like almost the size of Ontario. So maybe that's <laughs> why. And that brings us to the end of our Christmas Eve show. Th Danny, thank you so much for that fantastic report. And if we made people thirsty, I apologize. If you're hearing the end of this show, it means that the LCBO is closed as all the LCBOs close at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. But don't despair. New Year's is coming up. So you can grab a bottle of Ontario Bubbly for the next big holiday and make sure you drink them throughout the holidays. This has been Tasting Together. On 640 Toronto, wishing you all a very happy holidays. And we will chat with you on New Year's Eve next week at 5 p.m.